Welcome to the Thad Talk series on compassion. For this 10-week series, we have a variety of interviews lined up to challenge our perception on what compassion means in our lives today. I can't wait to introduce you to some wonderful people who have been an inspiration in my life, and they're going to share with us their wisdom on compassion when it comes to difficult topics and hard-to-have conversations. As humbly as I can say it, thank you for sharing your time with us, and may these unfolding conversations be an inspiration in your life. back everyone to Thad Talks. Today we are going to chat with my dear friend Jordan Gilliam, whom I met uh, actually only a few weeks ago uh, at my church. He plays in the worship band as a guitarist and uh, Jordan has um, a pretty unique and difficult story and uh, one day I just walked up to him and invited him over for dinner and this friendship has kind of evolved and unfolded ever since. And um, I, I think whether you've been in the situation or not, I think the stories can 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 touch us all in, in various aspects, various aspects. And so I want to I want to turn it over to Jordan just to kind of give us the the overview of of where he's come from and, and how his life has has shifted in the past year. Well, hello, and I am happy to be here. And yes, our friendship has definitely blossomed since the day you made me pasta. <laughs> <laughs> um, where do I start? So um, I was married once. And uh, quick story, I remember meeting Jessie um, at Porter Hills. She was a nurse, and I was an RA. And I remember I needed to get a shot in my arm, and she was the lucky person who got to do it. And she did an awful job of doing that shot. (laughs) I remember giving her a lot of crap, and I hate needles. So I think it turned into a, well, you know what? You owe me a drink because my arm really hurts. And she agreed. And before you know it, we were engaged, and we got married. And it was a wonderful 10 years. Um, got two great kids, my daughter, and I have a great son, uh, six and nine years old. And it's been, it's, it's been a blast until recently. I think it was just after Christmas and Jesse had called me and said, you know you what, you, you, you left the trash out and the dog got into it and made a mess in the kitchen. And I said, I'm sorry, I'll be home to pick it up. She goes, no, 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 I got it. I'll take care of it. And one of those moments when your wife reminds you at the night that she's still awesome and better than you are at cleaning up your own mess. <laughs> <laughs> and so she did. And so me and the kids went and got food and got home. And we found my poor wife. Um, she wasn't breathing. And um, it's a really tough thing to come home to because... Uh, my two kids were with me. I remember exactly how I felt, uh, the hopelessness. Um, her white skin, she had no pulse. Um, and I had a tough call to make. I could, you know, call for help or I can get my two angels into the basement before it got messy. So a little backstory, I was working at Life EMS, and I love that company, and I know each and every employee who was involved with that call, and so I knew what was going to happen. 
Um, but I got my kids to the basement, got them taken care of. They were obviously very unsure of what was going on with mom. But um, got back upstairs, and I think at that moment, your your brain tells you that this person's going to be fine. You know, they're, they're going to wake up. But they don't. And so you, you know, in your head, you realize, well, this is when you have to do CPR, right? You, This is what happens in the movies, and it, it tends to work. And so I got her on the ground, and I remember calling 911, and, and they knew who I was because I worked with them. But um, they sent out some help. And by that point, I'd been doing CPR for maybe seven minutes. And it was the longest six or seven months of my life. Help got there, and they had to do some things that most people would never want to see done in a loved one. But by that point, I knew in my heart that uh, the lack of oxygen most likely um, would have taken any amount of life she had left in her brain would have been gone. And so the dark days began um, in the hospital at St. Mary's. What an amazing crew of people who, who took care of her that week. Very tough week. But um, if you've ever had someone in the hospital in the ICU, you know how it is. You know, every day you're, you're hoping for good news. You're hoping for a new outcome. You're, you're hoping that just maybe, just maybe there's some, some, some good news coming. But it, it didn't happen that way. And I think by the end of the week, while I was planning my son's birthday, which happened to be that Saturday, it was decided that I'd let Jesse go. That, you know, the, the damage to her brain was too severe. I know that she had been having, um, essentially, she had been having seizures in her brain from a lack of oxygen. It was a nightmare. And I know that's just not how she'd want to live. And so I made a decision to pull a plug and let her go back home. And so that... That was just a, a very hellish week, a very confusing week. I think the hardest day in that whole decision was uh, bringing uh, Isaiah and Adeline up to see mom that last time and trying to explain to them that, you know, you're not going to have a mom anymore. That that really, I, I think I'm still working through that day. And I said, you know, you know mom, mom, mom's not going to come home this time. And that was a really hard discussion to have with your kids. I think one of the things we've we've talked a bit back and forth about was this this notion of control in our lives. I, I know many folks who may be listening will say, oh, well, that hasn't happened to me or it never will happen to me but obviously even though you worked in the field that was your daily reality it's what you saw on a regular basis I'm sure you too never expected to come home to see your wife laying on the floor yeah you know I think you have an idea of how life should go and you spend your life trying to get your life into a certain direction especially when you're married and you, and you have decisions being made with two people four people like your kids and or maybe you don't have kids but if you're married and or even single I think you, you still have an idea of how you want the the ship to sail and sometimes things just happen that prevent that there's 
there's no way to really prepare for that because when it happens, it's like it's too late. You were too busy focused on the direction of where you thought your life was going to go. And then when the rug gets pulled from underneath you, you realize you've already, your life's already been changed dramatically. Did you have any remorse or regret going into it? I know we, you, you mentioned how things play out in the movie. We have all these cheesy bumpy bumper stickers and this notion of, you know, oh, you never know and it's going to be your last day and that person's going to walk out the front door. And I, I remember an old couple once said to me, the only piece of advice we would give you is that you never, you, you never go to sleep without resolving a fight mm, in yeah. case somebody doesn't wake up the next morning. And this notion of we don't, we don't live that way. Yeah, I'd be lying if I said that I didn't have any regrets. I, you know, I wish I'd hugged her more. I wish I'd had kissed her more. I wish that I'd picked her up more. And, and, and you know, I wish that we had more time to, to do things that we enjoyed more. I wish we had traveled more. And so I, I obviously have regrets. And then there are the real life regrets where, you know, you may have said something or did something that last fight you know, that was over nothing or the time you went to bed angry, you didn't say goodnight or you, mm-hmm. you never really know when someone's going to not be there. And so it's like you, you're able to, to love now and be in the here and now. So why not take care of it when it happens? Why wait until things are crumbling? And so I, I have regrets and I think I honestly can say, and even now I feel like, I'm realizing what some of those regrets are, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, you know, even if you tie that back into the outcomes and expectations, it's, it's this reality that we can even in our best intentions, try and plan our life and and point it into a direction that we want, but we don't get, to skip hardships and we don't get to skip despairs in this life. And we usually, you know, we, we don't know when it's coming. Like I, I I made this joke once before I've, I've never, I've never heard of somebody go up to and say, I'm sorry that you just lost your dog Sparky and the, and the (laughs) owner say, Oh, don't worry. It was actually a really convenient time for Sparky to go. Right. I mean, like, Right. right. There is no such thing as as convenient despair yeah death doesn't give you a choice um you're you're robbed of any choices that you think you may have had and then it's a reality check you know there's a good chance that i i've discovered now that i i never really had control Mm. marriage is a gift um and kids are a gift um no one's promised these things. No one's gonna, you know, entitled to these things. But when you do get blessed with certain things, you want to try and control those things. Yeah. You love them, you know. You don't want to lose them. You don't want to lose it exactly. And I think when it comes to you know me, particular with my wife, you know, every day, I I can say wasn't a good day. But every day I really loved Jesse. And I think people knew that. I knew that. She knew that. I think every day that I woke up, 
I was happy that she was there. I, I miss that more than anything. I really do. I think there's this, um, I looked in the, the psych, psychology or the neuroscience and the research behind this once, but um, there's this notion that oftentimes the, the traumas and the despairs can be gifts in our lives if we let them, right? It's, it's the person who goes through the near fatal car accident and then the, you know, the next day they look at, you know, they're smelling the flowers yeah. and listening to the birds, yeah. right? I mean, life, Absolutely. life yeah. changes, but the, the research talked more about is when you have a despair or hardship or a trauma that comes into your life that you can resolve, you will relatively quickly go back to your old thought patterns. But if it is something that you can't resolve, like a death, a long-term illness, something that is a daily reminder of how little control you actually have, it begins to shift your, your, your perception, your outlook on life. What does joy mean? What is you know the point of existence? I think there's still this reality of you want things to go back to the way they were. Yeah. Before you knew that. Yeah. But you can't. And sometimes that can feel like the loneliest place in the world to be. Yeah, you know, so today I was getting my, my son signed up for school. And uh, they give you these forms from last year and go, everything go, look okay? Is it all the same as last year? So I go through it. And, of course, they have Jesse as contact and the mom and all this stuff that I have to cross out. And that really, whew, it's like there's there's always reminders there. Um, I, I still get mail in the mailbox. It's like. It's going to be a long time before it it truly shifts from, from that. I think trying to discover what it means to be normal now after the death is going to take me a lot of time. And I think part of the issue is our, though we have things built up with our system, they're, they're not very friendly. <laughs> they're, <laughs> I, I think a lot of the, the mail and the bills and and I don't bring up the school to sound like that was, you know, like, you know, they didn't know. They know that she's gone now, but they only have so much information with registration to go on. Um, but as for me, it's just an, it's a constant reminder that she's gone. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't even remember what life was like now. In some way, it, it just seems like a weird blur. I know how I felt and how I, I, I loved I loved just getting out with her on weekends. I loved traveling. I'm a musician, and so we'd, I'd get to go play in different states, and she'd come with me. And we, we'd had so much fun doing those things together, um, trying to go back to that in those relationships and our friends. It's, it's, it's gotten to be really difficult because you, you find yourself – being the one person in the room by yourself, even though the room is, the room could be full of people or you're with your friends that you made during that marriage. And then it's gone and you're still there and you're left with the sense of, I am truly alone in this. Not so much lonely. You know, you have people you can call and your friends love you. Um, your support systems are there. But at night, when the phone isn't ringing and the TV's off and the yeah. kids are in bed, 
what do you do with that? You know, um, the anxiety is overwhelming all day, every day for me. And it's just something I'm learning to live with. I, I, I do have faith that I won't say things get better, but that I, that I get through it, that I move through it, but I'm, I am different. I am forever different. I am forever changed. And that's, if I go against that grain, it's like I'm going to accept my life. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I, I, I have to go with the current of this situation. Otherwise I'll die a brokenhearted person. I, you know, I, and that's, I think that's saying for anyone who's lost somebody as much as you hate that and as, as much as it hurts, you, you kind of have to let the current take you. You just have to hope and pray that you're in control of your body and emotions and your health during the ride. If I try and backpedal the current, you know, I'm, I'm, I will probably drown. And then the other dynamic is, you know, my kids. I, I love being a dad. And, oh, man, I'm going to lose it here for a second. But I think going to restaurants with my daughter and she says, you know, there's always an empty seat. I think that's always a reminder, you know, of what their loss was and what, what they're, what they're feeling. And I don't think I can fully understand it. I, I think I try and tap into their nine-year-old's mind and the six-year-old's mind, but I didn't lose my mom. My mom's still here. God, thank you, Lord, for that. But, but, um, theirs isn't now. And so trying to unpack that for them, yeah, you know, that's a sad song. You know, why is there always an empty fourth chair? We're going to go, wow, why is the driver's seat always got daddy's books and not mommy in it now? You know, a, a kid, how they work through trauma, it's it's very different. And it's very, very um, kind of scary when you're the parent because you don't really know how to curve that other than just be there for them and let them express how they feel. Um they're constantly, you know, it's a, it's it's a it's a thing where they're constantly checking in on me. My son would call me on the cell phone uh, daily for a while to make sure I was there because he wants to be sure that when he comes home that I'm at home. And and my daughter has anxiety all the time. I drop her off at the uh, the daycare and she won't let me go. And I know a lot of it is just well, if I let you go, you got to come pick me up. And I I completely understand that. But that's, again, I can't really fix that other than just be there. And so that dynamic is probably the hardest. I think losing a wife is awful, but I think my my kids losing a mom is probably the more awful because I'm terrified every day of, well, what happens if something happens to me? Um, it's a big mystery. And I'm sure there are people out there who have, who have gone through this and, and who, are, who are going through this. and. Um, They'd agree, there, there is no one real answer um, other than just to say yes to new things and be inclusive with new things and um, just be, be present with, with, with your children. It's a really delicate time. Um, it's, it's one of those things where I, I'm still working through, okay, so there's an activity at school. It's, mom's day at school or it's mother's day or anything with mom right now will always trigger something with the kids and so i'm just i'm just trying to be in it with them at this point
Where's Addie? Where is Dishius? Where's Addie? Where oh Dishius? Where's Addie? Where is she? Oh there she is! There's this reality that the kids probably want you to promise them that you're not going anywhere. Yeah. All the time. And it's a promise that you can't honestly make. That's that's the that's the one guilty guilty prayer that I think I do have is can I can I be here until eighty? Can I can I get to eighty, maybe seventy five and, and still have hair? <laughs> you know, like I <laughs> They need me here, and I need them here. And I, but again, here we go. We're, we're building this construct of control of what I think things should be. Um, and when you love someone, when you love your kids or your wife, immediately there's a risk factor. You, in fact, I won't even say a risk. I think when you love somebody, you're, you know, they're not going to be there forever. At some point, there'll be a goodbye. And so the conversation for me is, didn't, I, I really need to enjoy the moment I'm in with this person or with this, you know, these people or with my kids for me in the, in the sense. And again, it's still scary every day, but I, I guess I'm trying to focus less on what if something happens to me and, and more on, you know, so today, what do you guys want to do today? It's still summer. Where, where do we go to have fun? know and so that's that's been kind of my focus right now i think there's this balance because you know i shared part of this story with you before when i was at that conference and this lady came up and spoke to me and you know and she explained as she was i think she was around 40 45 trying to walk with a cane and how she had just gotten through therapy from a car accident where she was told she was never going to walk again. Yep. I remember that discussion. That's tough to hear that. And after that, she had just buried her second child and then she was getting through therapy while burying her husband. And then the week prior to me meeting her, she informed me that the doctor called and the test came back positive and the degenerative disease that took her husband and her first two kids was now going to take her last remaining child. And, and we think we are immune to this kind of pain or we think it doesn't exist or we think it's just wrapped up in movies, but we all want to hear I think you said it right earlier when you said people want to hear a happy ending. Yeah. Yeah. I when I when you first told me about this lovely woman, the first thing I did think was, man, that sucks, but it most likely won't happen to me. You know, mm. I, I I think there is the I think part of being human is to take yourself out of someone else's really bad day. You know, I think because you don't want to be there. You want to say my life's not you know, that bad. My right? life's I not exactly. Yeah. My life's not that bad. You know, it's 
It's like if you're a smoker and you've been smoking a pack a day, then your uncle sold until that cancer because he smoked a pack a day. The first thought that most smokers probably think is, you know, well, it ain't me. I'm going to quit at some point. It ain't going to happen to me. You know, so it's like yeah. I used to smoke cigarettes. I, I can easily. That was, that was my story, you know. And so, I mean, but then life does happen. And I think and I think what tends to happen for me is life would happen to other people and it got closer and closer and closer to home. And then before you know it, it was a cousin who passed away or, you know, hey, so-and-so just called and his dad's really sick. You should probably go see him in the hospital. You know, then it's then it's real life again. Then it's, wow, um, okay, well, I'll I'll be down as soon as I can get there. You know, when it's people you know, I think it does shift how you feel about that. I think part of the grace of having this conversation is, is even not from the point of view of from the listeners to say, you know, oh, I don't, I haven't been through what Jordan's been through or, you know, count my blessings or things like that. I, and that, that's, that's all fine and dandy in, in, in its rightful place. But I think, I think our opportunity is to acknowledge that as a society, we do everything we can to numb out to pain and despair in our lives. And it doesn't even have to be as severe as losing a spouse or a child. We, we love our TV and our Netflix and our social media and our house and our jobs and everything that we can to, to try and pretend that the pain isn't happening because we're almost taught that we can't sit in the hard and I think the heart is not only our greatest opportunity to grow. I think the heart is our greatest opportunity to actually experience the interconnectedness of community with yeah. another person. Yeah, you know, that's a tough one, man. I think I think it's safe to say that we don't grieve well. Mm-hmm. We just we we just don't. And I won't say it's Americans or it's the I just think people in general just don't grieve well. Um, and it's not to say if your life is great and this isn't your story or your story isn't anywhere close to to this, that's okay. Please don't. I don't think there's any room to feel guilty. Um, I would even argue then lean into someone you know who has gone through something that, you know, just be with them in that mess. Part, part of grieving for me has been just obviously crying a lot. It's been waking up and it it takes me like an hour sometimes to put on both shoes and I still can't quite figure out why. Part of grieving has been, you know, I'll I'll go to some of our last hangouts where we used to get food together and now there is this empty emptiness there that wasn't there before. Part of grieving for me is discovering that I've never really had to grieve before. And I don't, Mm. I don't really know what this looks like that you can go get probably 20 books on how to grieve properly. And they don't really mean shit if you (laughs) haven't had to do it in your own story. And so for me, I think part of grieving is really letting go of the idea that it's going to get better. I think I'm realizing, like I said earlier, you I, I have to get through it. 
And if not for me, then for my kids, which ultimately is still for me. But how that looks right now, it's a mystery. And like you said, you know, and part of that mystery is there because of how we are conditioned to think, you know, we, we kind of numb that part of our body, we, of our brain. We, we, we really try to get around it. And I won't lie, I've had a lot of nights when, you know, had one too many drinks. You know, I, I can easily say that the numbness, it feels good to not feel anything. I mean, I mean you feel everything. And I think um, the decision at that point still resides in my heart. Well, what are you going to do about this? You know, you, you can be a cynic, you know, you can be bitter and have a lot of six packs in your fridge with vodka on top. Or, you know, let's just call this what this is right now, which is a black hole. It's, this is this is not going to help. And you have two kids who need a healthy dad. And I think right away, you know, there may have been a few weeks in there when I realized, wow, I, I, I just shouldn't have alcohol in the house at all because I know what's about to happen. And so part of it is just letting your face hit the floor hard and just saying what it is, you know. Um, this is a mess, and I have no idea how to do this. Um, but on the flip side, I will say the first people who came to my door in love was uh, a lot of my church family, my musical church family, with meals and money and time. And and so, you know, I'm, I'm a very casual introvert. Letting people into <laughs> my life isn't easy um, at all. But... I mean, you can let the pride go just for 24 hours even and just accept the help that you know that you desperately need. There is some healing in that. It doesn't make you feel better. It doesn't make the situation any easier. Um, but sometimes when people can just join you in that, in that place, in that mess, whether it's food or just not small talk, but just be in your presence um, it is helpful. It is helpful. And it's been, and it has been helpful and it's led to other things that I've said yes to. And so with that, I, I think there, there may be, um, how do I say it? I think a different place for me to travel into during the grieving process. Um, it still sucks. <laughs> I, I, I miss Jesse every day. I, I miss her more now than I think I ever did when we were even together, which sounds weird saying that, but if you're married, you get what I'm getting at. Um, and I, um, I, I would do anything to go back. Well, as, as we wrap this up, there's something you said to me the other day that just slugged me right in the gut. And I remember we were sitting in the YMCA and I started crying when you said this mm, out loud. And no, this is gone. <laughs> yeah. What would Jesse want from me? Mm. Man, that still gets me teary-eyed just thinking about it. What does she want is something I should just have tattooed on my body <laughs> I don't know yet but it's something I think about every day I I I, I want to I should how do I say this this is a tough one I don't know if that's answerable right now I can say this though that she would be pleased with 
the care of the kids. I know that. And I know that she'd want us to just see the world. And so part of me, I guess, feels like it would be um, healthy to do some of the things that we wanted to do that we didn't get a chance to do and just do them with, with our kids now. I think that would be a good place to start with the answer to that question. Um, as far as me and and me as a single dad now, and you know, I think I would hope that she would say is just live your life, um, just find joy in every day, and not to get so wrapped up in in the future plans. And um, it's it's easy to do that, you know. I think. We would always have these like goals and how much money we were going to have when we got old and how many houses we would have had, <laughs> um, how many estates we we're going to live in. And some of that stuff is obviously just fun to talk about. It's not always a reality, but I do think um, on, the other side of, on the other side of this that learning to just enjoy the moment I'm in now, to, to just fully be present. Um, and just be kind to people. And that's one thing, Jesse. I think people didn't know the way that I knew her was that she was always so kind and she always encouraged people to be the best that they could be. It, it goes without saying, but I want to acknowledge the, the strength and the courage to acknowledge the pain out loud, to acknowledge the pain in a very public way, and to be vulnerable with it. I think, um, yeah, it, ju it just goes without saying I, on, on, on behalf of everybody who gets to be lucky enough to listen to this, that, that we have the opportunity to just say thank you for, for being willing to share that pain with us.